Hello, this is Father Jeremiah, and this is podcast number one in the series called The Questions of Jesus. And the first question of Jesus that we will be reflecting on today is the question, what do you seek? We begin from a, a reading from the Gospel according to John. This is chapter 1, verses 35 to 38. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to him, What do you seek? What do you seek? Jesus asks. In other translations, it says, What are you looking for? Or, What do you want? It's a fascinating question. Think about this question for a moment. What do you seek? If I asked that question to a hundred people, I would probably get a hundred different answers. Some people would say, what I seek in, in my life is money. Or what I'm seeking right now in my life is a vacation or a promotion at work. Or I'm really looking for a spouse. Or, I really want to start a family and have children. Other people might say, I'm really seeking a good night's sleep. Or a new car. Other people might say, what I really seek in life is health. Because I'm afraid of getting sick. Perhaps some people might say, what I really seek, what I really desire, is for a loved one who has died to come back. Or what I really seek, I'm really looking for, is recognition, appreciation, respect. What do these answers reveal? They reveal a basic fact about the human condition. The fact is, we are all in need. And we remain in need our entire life. In need of what? Quite simply, we are in need of an other. We are incomplete by ourselves. And this very fact drives us crazy. It almost repulses us.
because we want to be independent, self-sufficient. We've convinced ourselves that those are worthy values that we should attain to. And quite honestly, we spend most of our lives trying to deny this basic fact, or at least trying to ignore this basic fact about our humanity. We are in need. Imagine a baby as they come into this world. A baby is in need of everything. Food, shelter, clothing, someone to care for them, someone to change their diapers. And as they get a little older, they need someone to teach them how to read, how to, how to walk, how to write. And as we get older, supposedly, we become more independent. It's true, now we can do many of the things that we couldn't when we were children. Now we can cook our own meals, we can maintain a job, perhaps become uh, a doctor or a teacher, or something that would imply a certain level of independence and a certain level of competence on our part. And yet still, we remain in need. Though it's true, now we can do things for ourselves. Now we need to hear words like this from another. I love you. Your life is important. You are good and beautiful. And we search everywhere to hear these words. As we get older, as we come towards the end of our life in, in a mysterious way, we almost become full circle again and we become childlike. Oftentimes, as we get older, we will need someone to change us again. We will need someone to feed us, to walk us, to help us with our medicine. And so, because of this basic fact about our need, we need to ask ourselves, is what we are seeking right now realistic? Is it in touch with our humanity? Is what we are seeking something that is eternal, something that will last forever? Or is it something that is simply here today and gone tomorrow? Are the things, the people, the places that we are seeking really going to satisfy us? Are they really going 
to fulfill us. A few months ago, I heard a, a beautiful conversion story that I've been thinking a lot about lately. And the story is of a, a woman who grew up in the South. And she was raised in a very devout Catholic family. She went to very good uh, Catholic schools her whole, her whole way through uh, high school. Her family prayed at home and they went to Mass together. And Catholicism was just a very real uh, entity in her, in her family's life. And as she went to college, she moved away to college and she started studying philosophy. And she bought into so much uh, of the modern philosophers who said that religion is, is something that's really for, for weak people, for people who are not uh, intelligent or who are not competent or who are not able to, to live their own life. And so she stopped practicing her faith because for her, she wanted to be strong. She wanted to be intelligent. She wanted to be independent. And to do that, she felt she needed to get rid of this idea of God. And she ended up getting her doctorate degree in philosophy. Obviously a very smart woman. And as she was getting her doctorate degree, her desire, her dream, was that she wanted to move to New York City because she believed that New York City was sort of this utopian, idealistic place where modern people lived. She believed that in New York City, you know, nobody believed uh, in God, that they were all intelligent, and that they believed in science and philosophy and culture and so they didn't need religion and so she ended up moving to new york city and got a a job teaching philosophy at a a very good school and she got an apartment in manhattan and she said that after after she had moved in and started teaching and getting to know her colleagues the other professors at the school she said that she was almost surprised because most of these professors Keep in mind, these were also very intelligent people. She said most of them admitted to a belief in God, or at least some higher power, and that the majority of them attended church on Sundays, or some sort of religious celebration on Sunday. And she said that as she got to know her students, The same was true with them, that most of them acknowledged or believed in God, and most of them as well attended church or some sort of religious service on on Sundays. And she said this left her feeling extremely alone, and she began to question her entire belief system that she had bought into over these past few years. And one Sunday morning, this, this woman all of a sudden heard she was awoken from her sleep from the sound of church bells ringing. There was a local church about a block away from her, par- her apartment in Manhattan. And all of a sudden, these church bells woke her up from her sleep. 
And all of a sudden she heard the, the words, go to Mass. And this woman sort of shrugged it off and kind of considered this whole idea silly. And she tried to go back to bed and hide under her covers. And a few minutes later, the bells rang again. And she heard this voice say, go to Mass. And so this woman got out of bed, got herself ready, and went down to that church where the bells were ringing. And as she walked into the church, it just so happened that Mass was beginning. And so she snuck into the back and was sitting there during the Mass. And keep in mind, she was raised Catholic, so she was very familiar with what was happening and the responses of, of the Mass. And she said, all of a sudden, it got to the part of the Mass where the priest consecrates the host, where he consecrates the bread. And he holds up the host. And all of a sudden, this woman said that when she saw the host, when she saw the priest holding the host, which is Jesus, she said tears began to mysteriously fall out of her eyes. Then right after that, when the priest consecrates the wine, it becomes the, the blood of Christ, and the priest holds up the chalice. She said, now this time, it was like rain falling out of her eyes. She began to weep like a little child. And she said the reason why she began to weep was because all of a sudden, in a moment of grace, she realized how foolish she was in these past few years. How she thought that she was really seeking truth or beauty. And how by desiring those things, it actually led her back to God, who is truth and beauty itself. The funny thing, almost the ironic thing, is that she was looking for God, even when she thought she was moving away from Him. What she was really doing was looking for a more intimate, a more intense experience of God, and she couldn't get away from it, despite her best efforts. She was seeking God, and it took her about 10 years to realize that that is what she was really seeking. What about the scripture passage that I read in the beginning from the Gospel of John? We have two of John's disciples. What are they seeking? They were disciples of John the Baptist. Remember what Jesus says about John the Baptist. He says, Among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. These two disciples were with the prophet par excellence. And yet John was not enough for them. When they see Jesus, they leave John and they follow him. 
What do these two stories have in common? Well, in both of them, the people involved found God because of the inadequacy of the things of this world. And because of this basic fundamental truth that God alone satisfies the human heart. The psalmist says it so well in Psalm 62 when he says that for God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock. And what leads us there to this realization, but this need that we all have, this need that we are born with. Sometimes it can be described as an ache, this ache that is in the very depths of our being, what we are truly seeking. This need or this ache is actually our best friend because it is God himself calling to us. It is God himself begging us to come to him. It is God imploring us to go beyond the temporary things of this world. When I was living in, in Texas a few years ago, I had the privilege of being the spiritual director for a young man in his, in his early 40s. This man was a, a billionaire. In fact, he had so much money, he didn't know what to do with it. He was an extremely talented, gifted businessman. And towards his middle 30s, he began to have a conversion. He said all of his life growing up, all he wanted to do was become rich and retire by 40 years old. And he had achieved that. But this conversion that he had changed his whole worldview. It had changed his whole perspective. All of a sudden, he lost interest in becoming rich. All of a sudden, he lost interest in all the many things and possessions that he had. And I'll never forget one day he said to me, he said, once you have everything of this world, you quickly realize it is not enough. What a profound insight. This man left his very successful job and he actually went back to college to become a high school teacher because he believed God was calling him to work with young people. He gave up a job where he was making millions of dollars to become a high school teacher. And after being a teacher for a few months, I asked him how everything was going. And he said, I've never been so happy. You see, here's the human problem. We seek a finite solution to an infinite problem. What does that mean? Well, oftentimes we think, 
We conclude in our minds that if I just marry the right person, or if I just get the right job, or live in the right place, that my life will then be perfect. And I won't need anything. I will be complete. That is absolutely impossible. And the reason why that is impossible is because the world is too small for our hearts. Within the very depths of our being, we have an infinite space. And the world, no matter how big it is, it's too small for our hearts. Jesus asked the question, what do you seek? He knows what the answer is. The answer is him. We seek Jesus. The problem is we don't know it, or at least we forget it. The very first paragraph of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the very first paragraph says these words, the desire for God is written in the human heart because man is created by God and for God and God never ceases to draw man to himself. We could sum up that Beautiful sentence in three words. God completes us. And it's not ironic that the catechism begins right there. Before it goes into talking about dogma and doctrine and the moral life and the Ten Commandments and the life of prayer. It begins by these very words. God completes us. God is the answer to our lives. And so the correct answer to Jesus' question, what do you seek, is him. He knows that. And he asks the question to his disciples, and he asks the question to us to provoke us, to help us to see that at the core of our being, we need something, someone that is infinite, Someone or something that is greater than this world because of the simple fact that nothing in this world can satisfy me. It seems that when things get tough in our lives, when we experience a difficulty on, on any level, psychological, emotional, financial, it seems like there are four places or four things that we turn to, almost as coping mechanisms for us. The first thing is food. The second is the internet. The third, TV. And the fourth, alcohol. All of these things in, in a mysterious way become little gods for us, coping mechanisms that we use to try to numb our pain so that we can at least forget for a little while about our problems, that, so we can at least forget about this need that we have. And what is somewhat sad is 
all of those things, there's nothing wrong with them in and of them by the, in and of themselves. They are not evil, but we tend to do them all in excess. You know, instead of just having a piece of fruit and a sandwich out of the refrigerator, we oftentimes will down a whole hoagie and a bag of chips. Or instead of just going on the internet for a few minutes to check our email or see what's going on in the world, before we know it, three hours have gone by. And we have wasted our time looking at really meaningless things. And then we leave those moments feeling distracted or tired, lukewarm and lazy, depressed. And we actually leave feeling worse than before. I had an interesting experience just recently. I was home visiting my family and I have two nephews who I, who I love dearly. And one of them is 15 years old. And I guess like what has become, he's a, a typical 15 year old teenager, meaning that he's always on his phone or he's always on an iPad. And every time I go home, I'm always a little frustrated because I go over to my sisters and I want to just talk to him and have a conversation with him. But every time he's got his phone in his hand or he's got the TV on, and so we kind of talk, but there's this noise going on. I know he's not really paying attention to me. And just a couple of weeks ago when I was at home, I turned off the TV and I took the remote and I took his phone. And I said, Mason, I want to talk to you for 15 minutes without anything. No phone, no TV, no iPad, nothing. I just want to talk to you. And at first he was mad. He was aggravated. He said, I can talk to you with my phone. And so I just started asking him basic questions. You know, Mason, what's your favorite subject in school? How's lacrosse practice going? Do you have a girlfriend? What are you hoping to do this summer? And something very beautiful happened that after about 10 minutes of talking, I began to notice that Mason began to open up a little bit. And we began to have a conversation. And after time went on, he kind of got used to this fact that we were talking and he's actually paying attention to me. And he started asking me questions. Questions about some of the brothers who I live with or what my life is like when I'm coming home again. Questions that he never asked me in my life. And at this point, 25 minutes had gone by. And I said, we were only, we were only gonna do this for 15 minutes, but since it was going so well, I didn't want to interrupt a good thing. And I realized that, you know, Mason actually liked talking to me. And after 30 minutes of just talking like two human beings, he didn't turn the phone on. He didn't turn his TV on. He just went and made something to eat and sat down and started doing his homework. And it was so beautiful for me because for the first time, my nephew appeared like a young man who I could actually have a conversation. And he actually enjoyed talking to me. Once he got past what he thought was his initial desire, the desire to be entertained, he realized that there was something more. 
And the same is true for us. And what we really, or what we think we really need, or what we think we really desire, is just the beginning. There's something more. Our desires are trying to point us to heaven. They're trying to point us to God. But oftentimes, we push them down to this world. The desire to be healthy is a good desire. It is a good thing to want to exercise and to eat right and to take care of yourself. But don't make it the very reason for your existence. Don't become so obsessed about your health that you stop living. The desire to get a good paying job is a good thing. But don't define your life, don't define your existence on whether you actually get that job or not. Spiritual writers oftentimes tell us that the best way to make progress in the spiritual life, the best way to sort of draw closer to God, is to not allow yourself to be satisfied by anything but Christ. What does that mean, satisfied? It means to find our rest in, to find our completeness in. So do not allow yourself to find your completeness, to find your complete rest in anything but Christ. I should emphasize again that the world, the things of this world, are good. They are not the problem here. The problem is the hope that we place in them. St. John of the Cross says very interestingly, he says that attachment, which he defines as a disordered affection, turning something that is not God into a God. He says that an attachment to creatures or to things of the earth make us incapable of the enlightenment and dominating fullness of God's pure and simple light. In other words, when we put things, people, places in the top priority of our life, where only God should be, we do damage to ourselves, and we become incapable of receiving the fullness of God's pure and simple light. He goes on to say and to remind us that the things of this world, since the things of this world cannot enter the soul, they are not a harm to it. Rather, it is our will and our appetite dwelling within that causes the damage when set on these things. So the world, the things of this world are good. Yet Jesus in the Gospels calls us to deny ourselves. He calls us to 
forsake the world. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is calling us to stop looking at the world and the things of this world as an end. It means stop trying to find complete and perfect rest here. It means stop placing all of our hope in anything but God. And the ironic thing is, once again, that when we do that, then, and only then, can we appreciate and enjoy the world correctly. Then, all of a sudden, the world and other people becomes a great sign pointing us towards heaven, pointing us beyond this world. You know, the story of, of two saints I would like to mention, just perfect examples of this. The first is Saint Ignatius. Saint Ignatius of Loyola believed that he could find happiness as a soldier. When he was young, his desire was to become a soldier, to become a hero, a war hero, because he thought that's what would make him happy. He sought the fame and the notoriety and the popularity and the esteem that comes from being a soldier. And when St. Ignatius gets wounded in battle and has to spend months laying on his bed, it is through reading the Bible and the lives of the saints where he begins to see beyond this world. He begins to see where all of his desires were really leading him. When he read about the saints and how heroic they were and how charitable they were and how austere and penitential some of them were, he realized, that's what I really want. I, what I really want is this relationship with God where I can give myself like these saints have. I don't want to limit myself to just worldly honor. But I want to become holy and be a saint and love God with the very depths of my being. And Ignatius realized that when he saw where his desires were really leading him. St. Augustine, a very similar thing. He spent so long trying to avoid God. And finally, when he comes to God, he writes these beautiful words. He says, you were within me, but I was outside. And it was there that I searched for you. I plunged into the lovely things which you created. You were with me, but I was not with you. St. Augustine, like us at times, put the things of God before God himself. And thanks be to God for his grace, Augustine realized that what he really wanted was God. And now everything else he had in his life wasn't enough. And so like these saints tell us, as they show us in their lives, we oftentimes live disconnected lives. God is within us. Oftentimes we are without. 
And so what brings us out of a disconnected life? Two suggestions I'd like to offer. The first is reordering of our desires. Nothing and no one can be your God. If something or some person is taking the place of God in your life, it needs to be reorganized. It is a completely false expectation to expect anyone to be the savior of our life. There's only one savior. And so we need to reorder our desires, reorder our expectations appropriately. And the second recommendation to bring us out of a disconnected life is an intentional spiritual life that includes things like prayer, things like spiritual reading and meditation. If you think about it, going to Mass is the healthiest thing you can do for your soul. Why is that? Because when we go to Mass, we are entering heaven. When we hear the Word of God being read, when we pray with other people, when we receive the Eucharist, all of, us, all of that is correcting our vision. It is reminding us that only God satisfies us. It helps to reorder our hearts, reorder our desires. So we must have this intentional spiritual life. Jesus' question, what do you seek, is a wake-up call for us. It is an invitation to re-examine our lives. Jesus knows what we truly seek. It is we who don't, or who at least forget. I'd like to close with these beautiful words from St. Catherine of Siena. This is what she says. She says, Eternal God, you are a mystery as deep as the sea. The more I search, the more I find. And the more I find, the more I search for you. But I can never be satisfied. What I receive will ever leave me desiring more. When you fill my soul, I have an even greater hunger, and I grow more famished for your light. I desire above all to see you, the true light as you really are. You are the garment which covers our nakedness, and in our hunger you are a satisfying food for you are sweetness, and in you there is no taste of bitterness. This beautiful saint knows what she is seeking. Let us pray for the grace that we would too. Amen.